Uh, so, how many of you guys are Toad the Wet Sprocket fans? Anyone know? I asked this last service to a bad response. One again. It's like a bad start. It's like my favorite band in the universe, and uh, no one likes them. Makes me feel unloved. Anyway, uh, that is a song by a band called Toad the Wet Sprocket. I, and, and I just, the, the images in that song are just great to me. And one line that really jumps out at me is in the, in the bridge where he says, all I need is a starting place, and nothing ever seemed so hard. Can any of you guys relate to that? <laughs> Looking for the starting place, you, can't, you just can't seem to get it going. You think about all of the different uh, adventures in life that without a starting place never happen. Um, and and I, I was even thinking of this just before the service uh, started. And, and you can raise your hand because we can be honest with each other here. So... Um, and if you, how many of you could think back and just say to yourself, yeah, man, if I, when I was whatever, I wish I would have whatever. Anyone relate to that? Like, uh, uh, probably multiple times every day we have thoughts like that where we, we wish we would have done something different because it probably could have changed the outcome of our life. We could have, you know, I wish I would have been whatever. And uh, we don't do it because we never get started. And that's what we're talking about today is uh, first steps, take, getting, just getting started, the, the very first step uh, that we need to take for adventures to happen. I, I tell this story, if you know me, you may know this story. If you don't know me so well, you might find this a little more amusing. But I, uh, so it was uh, almost 20 years ago now, I was in Detroit um, at Kensington Church, that's where I attended, and I was living with this guy, Darren, he was a good friend, and we were in a band together, and he went to this church with me, and um, he said to me, he, go, he says, hey, Mike, uh, I, know, I know a girl you got to meet, she'd be perfect for you, I said, okay, so one day we're at church, and uh, at, he's, he comes up to me, he goes, Mike, she's here today, and I'm like, fantastic, introduce me, and so he introduces me, and I start talking to her. And as I'm talking to her, this blonde girl walks behind her. And I'm like, hey, cool, nice meeting you. Darren, who's that? And uh, he's like, I don't know. And um, the weirdest thing, um, Roxanne was the girl he introduced me to, and Susie was the girl that I wanted to meet. And uh, I refer to it as the power. Because what happened, every time I would walk up to talk to her, it, uh, conversations would go something like this. I'd be like, hi. And she'd say, hi. And I'd be like, <laughs> because whenever I would, I, I did not know how to start any kind of conversation. And I would have this, every single thing I thought was like, no, don't say that because then she'll think this. And it was just terrible. And then, then though, what happened was I found something out. I found out she was a teacher. I kind of stalked her a little bit to find out what she did. <laughs> anyway, uh, and I found out she was a teacher, and I'm like, okay, game on, because I'm a teacher. And then from then on, I was like, I can actually have a conversation with her, and I feel confident. And so we finally started talking. Ten months from the day we met, we were married. And I told Susan I was going to tell this story, and she goes, well, make sure you tell people that you're not necessarily recommending the 10-month plan. It worked for us. It doesn't necessarily work for everyone. We're 18 years in, so it did work. But uh, until I had that in, the entry point, the starting point, I, it was just terrible. I just had no, that relationship was going nowhere. You know, and I, I just even think on just more 
you know, it happens on bigger levels. Like, you think of all of the great um, discoveries that, that uh, had we, you know, had we never launched a rocket, we wouldn't know stuff about the moon. And uh, we wouldn't, except for Lewis and Clark and all these other great explorers, Dora and whoever else. <laughs> if at some point your great idea has to get legs, right? Or it's not really even a great idea. It's just, just something. And uh, I, it's funny, um, we went up to, you guys ever go to um, Lava Hot Springs? You ever been up there? Anyone? A few of you? Um, we like to go up there during the summer, and we went up there this year, and we took some friends with us, and um, if, you've, if you've never been there, it's really cool. There's a little river that runs through the town that you raft, and it's like, you know, like a little 10-minute little river raft thing, and then you get out and you do it again. And then at the end of town, they have this big huge pool that's hot, hot springs fed and it's, it's warm and they have these big slides and they have big diving boards and springboards and they also have these big huge platforms and I, um, I don't know exactly how t- tall the highest um, platform is but I think it's somewhere around one million feet and um, so we're sitting there and we're watching all these people and people are crazy like they're like running and they're like diving and doing flips and literally it's probably like 50 feet it's really high it's super high um, and so we're, we're sitting there we're watching and we're with this other family Mike and Marla DeVries and, and their kids and we kind of look at each other and like you want to go? Well, I don't know all right, let's go. And then you find out you have to sign a waiver, which <laughs> kind of makes you a little less excited about the whole thing. And so anyway, we do it, and we, we actually didn't do the... Anyway, we get up to the, the dive, and the most interesting thing is, and you, we see this all the time too, because you'd watch this happen as we're sitting there vicariously saying how easy it would be to do. Um, so we're sitting there, and, and finally we, we climb the ladder, we sign the waiver, and you get up there, and then you have to wait, right? And there's like five people in front of you, and uh, what happens is there's like, they're staggered. There's one here, one here, and one here. And the, the guard kind of has to give you a, you know, it's your turn kind of thing. And so you, we're standing there, and uh, everything's kind of great. And, uh, and then you see these people who are maybe on the highest one. They go whipping past you, and you kind of start to freak out a little bit more. And Anyway, and then it's your turn, right? And you're waiting, and you're waiting. And then the guard goes... <laughs> gives you the gun, and you're like, oh, no. And this happens all the time. People, they're like, no, no, I'm not doing it. And they climb down. It happens all the time. We didn't do that. We were fortunate. We took the first step, and we, 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 we did it. So uh, next year, maybe I'll go to the top one. I was only on the second level, I think, is how high I got. But anyway, uh, that's what, what we're talking about today is first steps and taking the first steps. And we're in uh, a, a series called Base Camp, and uh, Base Camp is actually a small group uh, format that we've just launched last week, and uh, where we're looking at some pretty important stuff in understanding how to become a more devoted follower of Jesus and how to become a disciple of Jesus. And if you were with us last week, you heard Dave talk about uh, understanding the character of God and understanding that He is personal and understanding that He is loving and understanding that he is holy. Not just one of those three things, but he is all of those things. And uh, 
that he invites us into an adventure, and the adventure that he invites us into is the adventure of understanding who he is, who he created us to be, and what it means to know him fully and actually live the life he designed us for. And until you understand who God is, it's probably going to be tough to take the first step in that process. And uh, so that's what we looked at last week. And, you know, God invites us into this crazy adventure. And one of the, 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 the key thing that he invites us into, one of the key things that he invites us into is understanding that our life is not about us. He invites us into life that's so different and it's to be focused on others and focused on him. And, but like anything else that, you know, you have to take the first step in engaging that process. Otherwise, we're just like sitting there on our towel, vicariously living the life of people who are jumping off the high dive and doing their flips and stuff like that. But you have to take the first step. What do I, we're going to dive into that more. But before we do, I just would love to uh, pray with you, if you would. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we're grateful for your grace and uh, we are just awed by the love you have for us and the fact that you actually care about us, the creator of the universe who cares intimately about us, you're personal and you desire to know us on, a, on an individual level. And you're also holy, you're so different than us, you're, you're perfect in every way and um, somehow we need to make sense of what that means for us in, in the relationship with you. And I pray this morning as we talk uh, through the message, I pray that actually your words would come out of my mouth and not my own and that you would speak to all of us here today. You'd soften our hearts to receive your word and that you would help us uh, be drawn closer into knowing you. And we ask this in your name. Amen. So the question I want to pose here is pretty simple and it's this. If this God that we've just talked about, this holy, loving, personal God, if he's out there and he loves us so much, then why don't we experience him all the time? I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but it's kind of interesting. If God is that awesome, that loving, that personal, why don't we experience him all the time? Well, what I'm going to share with you today, I think, is really, really good news. And when I say good news, I mean good news as in the gospel good news. It's good news. And the first bit of good news is this. The reason we don't experience him is because we walk away from him. And that's good news. See, we're, we're sort of standing at a crossroads here. If you look at this sign here, um, I'm told that they have these on hiking trails. I think I've seen them on the internet from time to time. Not, not much of a hiker myself. But um, God gives us a choice, and he brings us to a sign like this that says, you know, the Alpine Loop or the Arctic Circle or whatever. You can take either one of those paths. And one path leads to him. The other path is everything else, and they go in opposite directions. The first thing that's really interesting that, that we need to understand about God is that he gives us a choice. And I think that this is really important because to understand that he gives us a choice helps us to understand that he actually truly desires true love. Right? Because if you don't have a choice, can you truly love? If I have no choice in the matter, then I actually can't truly fully love him. And the fact that he gives us the opportunity to choose him or other things demonstrates that he is a loving God. I want to look at this passage 
uh, Titus chapter 3, verse 3. And it sort of gives, as we look at this, it gives a flow of thought that what happens in our lives when we get to this crossroad here. And the verse goes like this. Once, we too were foolish and disobedient. We were misled and became slaves to many lusts and pleasures. Our lives were full of evil and envy, and we hated each other. Let's look at, let's look at this flow. He says, first, we were foolish See, he puts us in front of this path and it seems obvious we, want, we should go after the God path, but we don't. We choose the other way up a lot of the time. We're foolish because we believe in ourselves over God. We believe that what we want is better than what God wants for us and we make this choice to go the other direction. We're foolish. And then it says, and you're disobedient. See, just he tells us what to do. God's word gives us clear definition of things we should and should not do. And yet, despite knowing the things that he asks us to do and not to do, we choose willfully against God's will. First, we're foolish. We make the wrong choice. Then we're disobedient, taking us one step further down this path. And then what does it say? It says we were misled. Think about this. First people on the planet Earth, Adam and Eve. God puts them in the garden. What does he do? Puts a tree in the garden. See this tree, guys? Don't eat from that one. But you have a choice. What do they do? They eat from it. As soon as they eat from it, why do they eat from it? Well, here's what happens. See, Satan climbs into the tree or whatever happens, I don't know, in the form of a snake. And he goes, well, really? What did, what did God say? Well, God said we're going to die if we eat from that. Well, did he really say you're going to die? So what does Satan do? He kind of misleads them. He helps them. Well, maybe he doesn't really mean that. He, he, he kind of one step further away as we're misled by believing things that aren't true. And then what happens after we've been foolish and disobedient and misled? Then we become slaves, it says, to the many lusts and pleasures. See, we start down this path and we keep thinking, like Dave talked about last week, our soul keeps craving and we want more and more and more. And then we experience something and either we don't feel like that's enough or we want more of it or that wears off and we need another thing and we keep heading down this path and then soon enough, we're actually slaves to it. We don't have a choice in the matter anymore. It's owning us. It's controlling our lives because we're heading further down this path, further away from God. And then in the end, it says, and our lives were full of evil and envy and we hated each other. What? We hated each other. Why do we hate each other? Well, the reason we hate each other when we're heading down this path is because we're trying to fill our lives up with this stuff, and the stuff we're filling our lives up with is envy and evil. And what does envy do? Envy goes, you have something I want. You're my competition. You're keeping me from getting something that I want. See, it's this terrible path that we follow down when we walk away from God and we make a foolish decision in disobedience to walk in the wrong direction. Proverbs 14, 12 says it this way. There's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. Something seems right, but it leads to death. Do you ever find yourself doing this? I mean, if you don't raise your hand, but I mean, if you're all honest, we'd all raise our hand. We all, we all do this. That, that's kind of good news, too. We're not the first people to have this problem. The Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, 
struggled with this very thing. We find in Romans chapter 7, he says this, And I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I, want to do what is, I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyways. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? See, even the Apostle Paul, we all have this struggle. We have cravings, and we make foolish decisions and disobedience, and we walk down the wrong path over and over. So why is this good news that we walk away from God? Well, it's, it's good news for one reason, because it gives us a clear diagnosis. See, the diagnosis is God's not the problem. We are. And once you have a diagnosis, you can actually treat it, right? One of the most frustrating things is to go to the doctors and you hear about people that have these terrible year-long battles where they're going to doctor after doctor after doctor and no doctor can tell them what's wrong and they try all these things and nothing seems to be working and they're five years in and they have no clue what the problem is yet and they still feel as terrible as they did when they started going to the doctor. See, what's good news about the fact that we walk away from God is understanding that God is not the problem. He's personal, holy, and loving. We're the problem. We make foolish decisions and disobedience and we walk away from him. Romans 3.23, kind of a classic verse, says this. We all do it. For all have sinned and we fall short of God's glorious standard. We fall short of the glory of God. And you may not even realize it, but what develops is this huge chasm between you and God. And I'm just going to tell you this, too, that I think one of the most dangerous lies that we can believe is that if we just keep a safe distance from Satan, we're okay. I don't necessarily need to be pursuing God wholeheartedly as long as I'm just keeping a safe distance, right? As long as I don't get any closer to Satan. But here's what happens. So I make this choice. I go down this path, the everything else path, and then I go, well, I'm going to keep Satan this far away from me. And then Satan takes one step this way, and I keep that distance from him. I don't want to get any closer and one step further, and one step further, and one step further, and pretty, much, pretty soon we find out we're so disjointed from even understanding who God is and having any relationship with him, there's a huge chasm between us, and there's no relationship. Ephesians 4.18 says, they're darkened, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them through the hardening of their hearts. See, we believe that what we desire, the everything else path, is better than what God desires for us. We do it all the time. And the bad news is this. There's also some bad news about this. The bad news, Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is, everyone say it? Death. Yeah, not a swat on the hand. Not a cross, mom. No, it's death. And it's usually about this point when we realize how messed up stuff is in our life and how far we are from God and what a huge chasm we have between the two of us and that, there, that my sin is going to result in death. What do we do? Well, it's time to buck up, right? Work harder. Be better. Swear less. Don't look at that stuff on the internet. Stop smoking, whatever. whatever. We, if we just work a little harder, right? See, that's not, that's not how it works. 
And the question is this. So when we're way over here, separated from God in this chasm, with death between us, and it, just a, something that so far I can't even make the jump, how do we get to God? Well, you want to hear the second part of the good news? It's this. We don't. We don't get to God. God runs towards us. Again, another classic verse, I'm sure. You guys could probably say this with me. John 3, 16, right? We all know this verse, and it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. See, God's love is so great for us that he sent his son to die for us so that we could know him. Isn't that awesome? Yes, just so you know, the answer is yes. Yes, it is awesome. It's awesome that he did that. And oftentimes we stop reading at verse 16. But you want to know another great verse? is verse 17 of the same chapter. Because it says this, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Why is that so awesome? It's awesome because when we get way over here and we're so separated from God, how do we feel about ourselves? We feel crummy and we beat ourselves up and we start condemning ourselves and we realize God has no need for us or we have no value to him and there's no point. I should just quit because there's, right? But what does he say? No, 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 no. You see, you've got it all wrong. I didn't come to condemn you. I came to give you life. That's one of those foolish ways that Satan misleads us a little further away by believing that something we have is something God needs. And when we're not good enough, he doesn't like us quite as much. See, that's how human relationships are, right? When we don't perform up to the expectations of others, our relationships kind of fail a little bit. But God's not like that. You think of the passage in John chapter 8. If you remember this woman, the Pharisees, or the, the religious leaders at the time, they're trying to trap Jesus and they bring this woman who'd been caught in adultery. And they bring her out in front of Jesus and what do they say? They say, hey, so uh, she was caught in adultery and the law says to stone her. So what do you think? And he says, yeah, go for it. Oh, by the way, so who's ever sinless, you go ahead and throw the first stone. And slowly but surely, they kind of go, and they kind of walk away until it's Jesus and this woman left. And Jesus looks at her and he says, so, where are your accusers? Who's condemning you, he says. And she says, no one. He says, and guess what? Neither do I. See, we need to understand that God is loving, and a loving God is not a condemning God. It's not the same thing. Romans 6.23 says this. We already read it. The wages of sin is death. Oh, wait, there's more. See, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Yes, sin is death, but God's gift is life. See, eternal life is something that is a gift from God that we can't earn. It's not dependent on our abilities and our good behavior and our bad behavior. It's God's gift that we receive. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8 say this. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us 
in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When does he say just, he says, right, at just the right time, after you fixed that relationship and started treating your mom better and started attending church and were kinder to animals, then he that's when he died for us, right? No, it doesn't say that. See, this is what we think because our human relationships work that way. But what it says, at just the right time when we were powerless, we were sinners, we were ungodly, and that's when he goes, that's the person I want to die for. Right now is the time before they've done anything. And why is, see, there's no better news than this, and you want to know why there's no better news than this? Because now you can know that God's love is not conditioned on our behavior. Isn't that what we really want? Don't you wish that every relationship you had in your life, everyone knew every single thing about you, details, good and bad, and loved you just as much anyways? Wouldn't that be awesome? See, that's what God offers. That's what our soul craves. And that's what we think everything else is going to provide for us. But it doesn't. And I don't know if you ever wondered about this, but like, uh, you know, at just the right time, Christ died for me. And then I think, but so why did he have to die? Why did someone have to die? Well, you can look through the Old Testament and see the sacrificial laws that were put in place for us to be able to uh, be in his presence and all that kind of stuff. But you don't even have to go that deep. You could just look at Genesis chapter 2 when he says to Adam and Eve, don't eat from this tree because if you do, you will die. Sin is death. In Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. See, death is caused. And when we, t- just, just so you know, when he talked in Romans Six, and when he talks about sin bringing death, he's not, he's talking spiritual death. He's talking physical death. He's talking emotional death. He's talking psycho, he's talking death. It brings bad stuff. So just so you know, when, when you're engaged in this sin stuff, you're, you're just creating terrible stuff in your life. You're following this path further away and it's creating more problems for you. And so why did, why did someone have to die? Because that's the, 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 the judgment for sin, the punishment. But there are three, three words that are used that are really interesting. And I'm going to go real quickly on these. Three words that are used that talk about when, when we receive Christ in our life. And the first is this justification. You see, uh, th- this is kind of a legal word, right? And, and um, because God is holy, he can't abide with sin. He can't because he's holy. Otherwise, he wouldn't be holy. And so this is because of our sin, we... We are guilty, and we've received the judgment, which, which is death. But a way to think about it is the judge pronounces guilty, death sentence, and then comes down off of the, off of the stand and says, here's the deal, you're free, I'm taking your penalty. Now the, the, the penalty has been satisfied through my sacrificial gift. If you uh, ever read um, Dickens' classic, or there's a mo- the movie too, um, Tale of Two Cities, it's about these two guys uh, Charles Darnay and, and Sidney Carton in there, they look the same. They, they, they resemble each other. And um, Darnay is a really good guy, a very, very moral guy. And he's caught up, it's during the French Revolution, and he uh, uh, kind of falls victim to some of the ill stuff in the French Revolution. And he's convicted uh, wrongfully uh, and sent to jail, and he has 24 hours they're going to execute him. 
24 hours at, at La Guillotine, their new uh, toy that they have in town that they're going crazy with. And so, um, but this other guy, Sidney Carton, who looks like him, is in love with uh, um, Darnay's wife. And it's unrequited, you know, and so, but he's in love with her. And he realizes that the only way that this woman will be happy is if she is with her husband. And so what this guy does, uh, Carton, he, desi- he desi- devises this plan to be uh, taken in to visit uh, the prisoner. And uh, he goes to visit Darnay, and as, he, as he's in there, he uh, knocks him out, and he switches their clothes. And then he calls the guards, and he says, hey, guards, he's acting like now he's taking the role of the prisoner, and the guards can't tell the difference because they look the same. And he says, okay, take this guy out. Um, he got sick, and they take him out, and he escapes to freedom. And then the next day, he dies for this guy so that this woman can have the love that she's supposed to have. Now, the reason he had to die is because this prison was so impenetrable, and if he would have just tried to escape, they probably would have caught him. And even if he would have escaped, the, 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 the penalty and the judgment wouldn't have been satisfied, and they would have searched him down until they finally caught him, and they would have killed him. And he, so he had to serve the penalty so that they could be free. It's a beautiful example of someone justifying the law so that we could be free. Another word is redemption. So you have justification. There's also redemption, which is like an ownership term. And, and, and the legal term of justification kind of satisfies God's holiness. And redemption is the ownership term that, term that satisfies God's loving nature. And it's, it, it means uh, to, be, to, to, to buy back. So you're, you belong to me, but somehow you've gotten away and I'm going to retake the ownership. And the third term that's really interesting is reconciliation. And reconciliation is that, that relational, personal part. It, it satisfies God's personal nature because what he, he, he does is he says, not only do I own you, but we were created to be in relationship together. And so we've fallen out of relationship, and now what I'm going to do when you come back into, we have relationship together again. It's amazing. It's like the multifacets of God's love for us. See, God is holy, and he judges sin. And he can't have anything to do with it. But he is love. And he cannot stand the thought of us not being with him. It said, J.I. Packer says this. It's just a great quote. It says this. To be right with God the judge is a great thing. But to be loved and cared for by God the Father is greater. To be right with the judge is great. To be loved by the Father even greater. Tim Keller, who's a, just a brilliant theologian, he talks about the two extremes of thought uh, about God. And the first extreme is this, the moralistic view. And the moralistic view of God is this, that God is holy and demanding, and we have to try really, really hard uh, to, to meet his standards. And if we just work really, really hard at being good and following the rules and do the right thing, then, then what happens? Well, then we feel good about ourselves, right? We feel good and and that can potentially lead to pride and superiority and judgment on others because now we're doing good and they're not. And then when we're doing bad, if we have a moralistic view of God, then what happens is when we're doing bad, we start to feel badly about ourselves and we have self-hatred and we think terrible things and 
doesn't really go anywhere. The problem with this view is that when the moralist thinks of their relationship with God, it doesn't move them to tears. It doesn't electrify them. It's not emotion attached to it. The second opposite extreme view of God is that the relativistic view. And the relativistic view is this. God just loves and accepts everyone. See, when the relativist thinks of their relationship with God, it doesn't move them either because of course he loves me. He loves everyone. Not that big a deal. See, but what we need to understand is that the gospel is an infinitely holy God who is infinitely loving. That's why the grace is so amazing. So he couldn't just shrug off the evil and he couldn't just punish us for it. Keller says this. This is the quote. Such a good quote. He says this. And it's not until you're humbled into the dust because he is so holy he had to die for you and not until you are affirmed and valued into the sky because he loves you so much that he was glad to die for you will you be humbled out of the pride that makes you look down on others and affirmed out of the self-hatred that makes you look down on yourself the death of inferiority and superiority comes from the gospel you see when we understand not that just God is moral or God is is loving but we understand that he's equally both it's at that point that we can move into a position of understanding the depth of his love for us See, God says, I, I love you so much. I'll do anything I can to be with you. And we, so we say, well, wh- what do we do? This is the third thing. We take the leap of faith. <coughs> Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 9 say this. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And grace, just so you know, a definition of grace is God's uh, infinite love and mercy and favor and goodwill towards man. God's love towards us. We're saved by that through what? Our faith. And I just want to point out that many people, we, let's get back to that first step we talked about at the very beginning of the day. So many of us have a hundred reasons why we never actually embark on our first step in adventures. And one of those I'm just going to tell you is this. We are not called to knowledge of Christ. I'm not saying you shouldn't be knowledgeable. Faith and knowledge are not the same thing. Faith is a belief in something that you cannot necessarily prove. And I'll just tell you this. If you are here today and you're waiting for everything to make complete sense, you're going to be waiting for the rest of your lives because you cannot prove faith. Otherwise, it's not faith anymore. And that first step is what we have to take, that step of faith, believing in God's grace. See, because we can't get from over here without God. We can't do it. And faith is just the confident trust in him. Like stepping out of an airplane. We were going to show a video of Dave back in... uh, uh, it's a long time ago. He jumped out of an airplane. You know, they did the tandem jump, and he has this <laughs> rabid fear of heights. And uh, he jumped out of the plane, and, and he said, you know, the most interesting thing is this. I put my faith in this dude that's strapped to my back and the parachute and the fact that he can make this thing happen because if it doesn't, I'm done for. And it's the same thing with God. We have to place our faith in him and go, God, I'm strapping myself to you and trusting you. 
I'm going to take that first step. I'm stepping out of the plane. I'm just going to believe that you've got it and I don't have to. I'm going to ask the band is going to come out here as we close this morning. We're going to enter into a time of worship through music and I just, just a couple more thoughts as they're getting up here. The first is this. I want to read Romans 10, 9. It says this. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. See, we have to believe that Jesus Christ, his death on the cross, saves us and gets us from the path of everything else to the path of God, and we can't do it on our own. And belief is just, what believe in what? Believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and he can save us. I'll trust you with my life. I'll trust you with forgiving me. I'm going to receive you as Lord and I'm going to give you control. And then I'm just going to jump. One last verse I want to look at is John 1.12 and it says this. Yet to all who receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become the children of God. And here's what we're going to do in closing this morning. I just want to let you know that there are some of you guys out there that have never made that first step. You've never put your faith in God fully. You've never said, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to strap into that parachute of God and just believe that he's going to make this happen for me because I can't do it on my own. I know I've gone way down this path. I know all that stuff. But some of you here this morning have never made that first step. And in just a minute, I want to give you that opportunity. But before we do that, I just want to, the band's going to lead us in a song here. And I want you to take this moment to sing these words as you contemplate and pray and ask God if, if, if this is you, if you're the person who's never ta- made that first step, is today the day that you put your faith in Him and step out of the airplane, step off that high dive, put your faith in Him, and get back on the path. I'm going to come back up in a minute, but I just want you to take this time right now as we sing to prayerfully, before God, ask if this is something He's asking you to do.